Thank you for joining us today with Miniature Wargaming Labs. My name is James, and today I'm joined by a returning special guest, John, with Black Powder Red Earth. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, James. How about yourself? Uh, doing just fine. Now, I wanted you back on because at the last time we had you on, um, huge, huge uh, listenership. Probably one of the most listened to podcasts um, I've had is uh, interviewing uh, you and talking about your game and for a lot of the indie games that i've looked at yours has actually um gone further faster than a lot of them have and i actually want to talk to you about like where you're at now with the game and where it, where it's going forward so i know you've been hitting a lot of the big convention uh circuit there starting to roll that product out get you know in front of a lot of eyeballs where have you been and how has that been going well, we did historic. It was kind of a big month in July and August for us. We did Historicon and GenCon back to back. They were both our sort of first time going into either of those those spaces. Very different audiences, and part of that was essentially an effort to try to figure out who is our audience in the tabletop space because a lot of our customers up until that point had really been people who were learning about us on the internet. Uh, or people who'd already known about us from like our Patreon and our graphic novels. So it was, it was been a great chance to like finally meet some LGS stores that were looking for things that were outside the mainstream um, in the area that we're based in, in Pennsylvania, like outside Philly, most of the, uh, most of the stores are very focused on like the sellers, right? Magic, uh, D and D um, and then, you know, 40 K D 800 pound gorilla. So, like for them, breaking off into the sort of subgenre is a little bit risk. You know, it's a little risky for them. They don't know if they're going to attract a player base. So, um, these shows were a great chance for us to meet essentially new new customers in terms of like individuals and new customers in terms of stores that we could form partnerships with and help to grow the game. Uh, one of the things that's really apparent to me, like the more time I spend playing these games and coming to like this is kind of my favorite kind of game to play right now it used to be more video games but like i really love tabletop and the whole life of the game is in your community so the idea of playing with people versus playing against people like being in, a, in the same space having a social experience that's like a positive experience and it's sharing the joy of making the things sharing the joy of developing the strategies like you need an LGS or like a gaming club to have that, that, that can't exist on the internet really. Like it's, or it's much more difficult to create that same atmosphere on the internet. So um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, uh, definitely a learning experience doing these shows, but uh, yeah, as you mentioned, it's, it's been pretty good, man. Yeah. Cause I know when we first talked to you, the, the game was still new. Um, and when you're rolling it out, you're trying to kick over from being that game that like someone sees the book on Amazon and says, yeah, I'll give it a shot. I'll play it with my friend at my kitchen table. We'll play it for a couple of months. We'll put it on the shelf and we'll find the next thing. So you're actually trying to like metastasize to like the next level of where it's, it's not Blood Bowl. It's not Kill Team. It's not Infinity. But, you know, it's one of those things once a month, someone will come to a local store and play with a group of people outside their house. So that seems like... And so let me ask you, with these conventions, is the idea to make money from selling the product or is it more just like a loss leader, you know, get out there, get your products in front of eyeballs that you normally weren't able to reach just using like a Facebook or an Amazon play? 
Well, we can't afford to be a loss. We can't afford like loss leaders at our scale. We're not a large company. We don't have a ton of different products that we make yet. Um, you know, we basically make black powder red earth. That's, that's essentially what we do. So, um, the shows have been an opportunity to meet new people, introduce them to the game, get them to see the demo, like, you know, get them to play a demo, but more importantly, to get them to physically see the quality of the stuff we're offering, because even if they had heard about us, they, I don't think people necessarily, because they've never really encountered something made to the level of quality of our game. And that's not to, you know, dismiss anybody else's products, but like people pick up our game and, instantly understand oh wait this is not cardboard this is this is look at the detail on these miniatures right it's not just in the photograph even unpainted you can see the detail in these miniatures right like the amount of care that went into them um and then you we give people a, a combat demo like not necessarily a full game demo but like just one round show them how combat works show them all the different uh capabilities and all the decision making and how it connects and one of the comments we got at the, one of, uh, at uh, a gen con was like hey, this is a great game because I'm playing the game. I'm not playing the rules. Uh, and it's really different than I think a lot of the other, uh, certainly modern military style options that are out there because it really does focus on tactical decision making. Um, even how the phases work, it, 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 you're always thinking about positioning and thinking ahead about what the next move is going to be. So the stores that we've met and the people that we've met at these shows they, they get that once you see the demo, right? It's not just like the little plastic dudes blasting away and like putting like little wound markers on a card. This really requires you to think about what you're doing. And especially because of the high lethality of the game, um, it really requires you to make some good decisions because bad decisions, bad decisions are instantly rewarded with mass casualties. Um, and it's, it's always dramatic and fun to see people like watch like, how how one bad decision can really really cause a lot of chaos and uh, and how uh, positioning, especially given our phasing, how like positioning really is like three 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 turns really ahead of where you're at. You're always thinking about not just the phase I'm in now, but where am I going to be in the next turn at this phase? Like, am I set up for success? Like, am I set up to whatever my goal is? Inflict casualties, close ground safely. You know fire and maneuver um it, it, these are things that we could that are more difficult to do online being at the shows gives us a chance to really meet people and let them see that and and it gives them a whole new appreciation for what we're doing so maybe even if they you know they like you said they saw the book on amazon or they saw some pictures on the internet and they're like oh, this, looks, this looks cool but then they play it and it's like hey maybe maybe modern warfare is not totally your jam but there's something in our rules that maybe you could even take and play a different game with. Um, if you, you know what, especially once you understand our game, I'm sure you could, you could take it and run with it if you wanted to. I mean, I mean, Christ, that's, that's like half of how people start making games to begin with. Right. You, you like, I used to do mods <laughs> for FPS games, you know, it's like, that's how I learned to do level design. I was like, Oh, look at this cool level editor, the, the quake level editor. Oh, look at what I can make for Wolfenstein, you know? Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, we met some really great people. Uh, two, two of the two of the more interesting meetings we had were, I guess you would say, more notable or famous or semi-famous, whatever. Uh, other game developers, I guess, con leagues, right? And they came over and they they played the demos and they were so interested in what we were doing 
that they bought, they went big. Like they would buy like the starter box and they'd buy extra models and everything. They just went bananas. They're like, I'm getting the whole package. This is great. I want to play this. And it's like, oh, wow. That's, that's a really nice validation for somebody who made a game that like we all liked. Like we had a guy who I really liked. He made a video game. And then we had a, another gentleman. Uh, he was a, I think he was the founder of Gale Force nine was the name of his company. But like, he spent a bunch of time with us doing a demo and, you know, you could see the gears working in his mind when we were, we were playing with him. And it's like, oh, wow, I'm getting this guy to think, you know, and that's that's really exciting for me because, I mean, I don't know if you ever heard me talk about like battle chess, you know, like I wasn't a super big battle chess guy, but I love the concept of like because I like chess a lot and, you know, enhancing it, making it more cinematic on, on its surface sounded really cool in practice. It was just like, OK, I've watched the same animation happened over and over again, <laughs> but against a human opponent, when you're moving your, your, your little minis around and you're actuating them and positioning them and doing all those like careful decision-making, but you're doing it, you know, again, three turns ahead. Like you're thinking about now the next phase and like all of the risks I have to assume to be in this position. So I can be in the right place two turns from now or two, two phases from now. That's really exciting to see people get that because they really start having to like, not just like, it's like they're engaging with their opponent. They have to make their own plan and their plan has to be contingent on what their opponent, they think their opponent is going to do. Right. Just like chess, right? Like it's not, I'm not just planning my actions. I'm planning your actions. And while I'm doing my, my, my plan, I'm planning to thwart your plan as part of my plan. Right. Like I know that that gets a little, a little mucky, but it it's a big part of our game. And, um, the show the shows were a great forum to actually demonstrate that. And you know, we were talking about uh, LGSs. Some of the LGSs that picked us up, which was you know, was really gratifying that they picked up the game. Right? Oh, you know, finally somebody gets it, um, or people do get it. Right? Because it, it is it is a new game. They sent over all their their players. They, they these guys would send over their alpha players, is what I call them. They would we would do demos with them. And if they liked it, they, that was the validating factor that a lot of the stores needed to actually pull the trigger and, you know, buy like 10 boxes or 20 boxes or whatever they brought into their store. Um, and, you know, that gets me back to the whole community thing. Like the life of a game is a community that plays the game. So naturally, the stores are going to send their best players over because those guys, if they like the game, will probably buy it and then create the community in the store. Well, so that, 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 was, that was my big thing anyway from, from the show. Well, that, that's the big part there is finding, because getting in the store, because that physical point of contact of where someone walks in and sees it, because then that makes it real. Like, I'm going to spend mm-hmm. this money, um, especially uh, your game. Um, it's not cheap because all the products are high quality, but most of the market's been trained to buy lower quality ancillary products like your your building tiles like almost indestructible (laughs) so i travel with them and uh you're and you lay out the buildings i mean you can load them up in my car they knock around and they're like brand new so it's something that will survive like the test of time there but it costs to get that survivability in there where most people are trained to like i think like Batman miniatures games where they had like the cheap cardboard buildings that like <laughs> and everything. It's like, well, I really can't travel with these or something like plastic. And it's like, it's going to chip the paint off. It's going to break down. 
But at that cost, it's like, I want to walk into a store and see it and say, okay, if the store is taking it, that means there's a, a living community here that if I buy into this, I'm going to get some mileage out of the game. Like my playing of the game, playing of the game will last as long as the products will. <laughs> well, that, that was, it's funny you mentioned this because that actually is part of my pitch. It, so one of the reasons the game is made so durable is because it plays so quickly. Um, well, I, I'm not a, I'm not a big army gamer. Um, it's my understanding that like big army games could be like three or four hours for a single game. You know, BPR, you can knock out a game in 20 minutes. Um, and at that speed, if you get together once a month, play for, I don't know, like two, two and a half hours, right? You're going to be able to play a full campaign, all five missions, right? You're going to be able to play a full operation, both sides, all the way through, and you're completely done. And then next time you get together, you can play a new campaign. You know, you can reverse the roles if you want to. You you can try different stuff. There, there's all kinds of different permutations you can bring to the game. But if you think about that, so if you get together once a month with your friends and you play five games a month, that's 60 games a year. 60 games a year is a lot of wear and tear on components. Our stuff will survive. I mean, again, and this goes back to what I was saying about, you know, showing the stuff in person. Hey, I can actually dip my tile. We, we started having like a little thing of water where I would dip the tile in the water and just wipe it off. And like, see, it's fine. By the way, here's my cards. I take my card and you, you, we'd have like a, a monster can or something with some like, you know, condensation sweat on the outside. Wipe the card over the sweat. Let it sit there. Show them that the, the moisture is on the card and then take it, wipe it off on the table and the card's fine. And then, you know, of course, we had the demo set there. And I'm like, yeah, well, this demo set has about like you know, 500 games on it at this point. And it's just what you said. It's like, my God, this thing is brand new. Um, and uh, <laughs> the, the, other, the other fun conversation, well, why don't you do 3D terrain? Well, the, you know, the first reason is, is it, it's expensive to do that. But the other reason, I don't think we got into this in our previous interview. People, when you make 3D terrain, people tend to move around the terrain. They don't actually use the terrain like you would intend it to be used in urban fighting um because you have to lift the roof off you have to actuate each door you have to act, you know you have to manipulate a lot of stuff to make that work and it it gets to be kind of a pain in the ass so people are you know they're less inclined to do that and especially in our game where you can blow doors off of hinges and things like that like they just can you know essentially get vaporized by explosions you know it's it, like you, you start to not play the game and we i've seen people try to take our rule set and play their own maps and they don't understand the rule system and the game doesn't necessarily play that great because everybody just dies very quickly. Um, you have to use cover. You have to move through structures. You have to play the angles. And because that's what, that's what infantry fighting in urban, urban spaces is, right? It's, all, it's almost all angles. It's about positioning. It's about um, combining fires and maneuver to effectively move through areas as safely as possible and like essentially the most dangerous environment possible. So all of this stuff combines into a game where, where everything is durable because you're going to be playing a lot of it. <laughs> and, and, if you, and especially if you're going in and out of the structures all the time, right? Like we made real buildings that did that right now. I'm, we, we talked about MDF with, with a couple of people at the, at, uh, I think it was Gen Con. We're interested in making terrain. And I'm like, okay, I need the terrain so I can remove things as I'm playing. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, what if I can knock out a wall with an explosion? What if I can knock a door down? What if I can turn a whole building into waist-high cover? And nobody's, nobody's ever tried to do that stuff before. So once again, we're back to like, okay, 
we're going to do it this way. <laughs> well, you, Terrain you, flat. Easy to you travel. Bring, you bring up a, a good point because you think it's something like um, Infinity Code 1 or like N4. The terrain actually becomes just like a dead zone. Like they have rules to be in the terrain, but no one uses them. They just walk around the buildings. So in essence, you've taken your your play space and cut it what, by a third at least, depending on most boards. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea of terrain is just, well, I'm looking around a corner or like it's waste terrain. There's no malleability to it. Um, no, no, I haven't really found a good game that's really talked about like, how do I turn that terrain into a pile of rubble and then play the pile of rubble? It's like, let's, let's just avoid, <laughs> well, maybe Battletech, but that gets complicated. Yeah, you know, it's funny. A lot of people who like Battletech do enjoy BPRE because I guess there is some real, there's some real serious consequences to poor decision-making in Battletech. I'm personally not a Battletech player, um, but what I've been told is, you see the consequences of your decisions immediately in BPRE versus like Battletech in, in like a three hour game, you might make a bad decision in turn two and it doesn't really metastasize into the actual result for like, you know, two hours. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's maybe you're not going to learn the lesson that you probably should have from, from doing something bad. Um, you know, one of the things when I think you know, we made this urban warfare game and Oh, this whole background and like preparing guys to train them for like close combat. And there's things we talk about, like, like hallways, you know, and if you think about like the, the kind of structures we're dealing with, the areas between the buildings are essentially like big hallways. You can't defend a hallway. A hallway is an indefensible position. And, you, and, you know, think about, if you think about it, just like logically, like, okay, I have four guys or eight guys or whatever. I'm moving down a hallway. There's danger areas everywhere. How can I possibly, like, anytime I pass a room is a danger area. Anytime I pass an open window, it's a danger area. There's, there's, there's corners and, and angles and rooftops. How do I deal with all of that with like eight, eight guys? You can't. Like, it, 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 I mean, somebody wants to, and somebody told me this once. They're like, listen, the only thing worse than freaking uh, hallways is stairs because they're literally from a planet that was made to just kill people. Like stairs are, are like terrible. Like fighting in stairs absolutely sucks because you don't need to be good at all at a staircase. You just need to be able to like pull a trigger, right? Um, or press a suicide vest or whatever it is, right? It's why we don't go into houses in general anymore. We do call outs, right? We surround like we you probably saw this when we the last couple of ISIS leaders we got in Syria, we didn't we didn't hit the house. We surrounded the house. We called out, told the guy to get get out, he fired a gun, we dropped the house. Then we go in and sift through the remains and like, you know, like ran them down into a tunnel and killed them. Like this, like there's like, unless there's a hostage, we don't, we're not like sending these like highly trained guys into these areas where they're just going to get shot to ribbons. Right. Cause there's, I mean, like that happened to the Iraqi special operations in Mosul. They were, they were the guys who could fight because they were the ones trained by the American special operations guys. And they were the guys who had the will to fight and they got shot to ribbons. Like they, they took that city back. But man, the cost to their force, like they lost like 90% of their guys. Um, I think if I'm not mistaken, the, the Iraqi special operations community, as it existed pre and post Mosul, it's a completely different group of guys. Because basically the people who did survive Mosul from the original sort of wave of Iraqi special operations dudes, they were all wounded and basically retired out. A lot of them ended up coming to America um, because... 
you know, they're fighting a grinder in Mosul. And that's kind of what we're representing in our game, which is, you know, we have to go into this area. There's a vital mission we have to conduct. So, like, like we talk about this all the time, like, like for the different factions, um, it's really dangerous to go in the houses for the, for the, the Crisis Troop Scorch guys because the, um, a good IRE network player can actually overwhelm any group of guys in a house by just throwing Sherta at them and forcing them into activations that they don't want to make and then finally pushing a suicide vest into that house and blowing it up. Right when the American or the uh, the Iraqi uh, soft you know expat guy, he's got no more activations to use. That's basically fixing a dude with human lives, which is exactly how it works in the real world. Right? We just throw bodies at a machine gun until it basically the barrel has to be changed out. Then it is fixed and we can destroy it. Um, and that's at every single level of, of the B period twenty eight millimeter experience. It's it's all about like fixing, maneuvering, finishing. Um, you know, creating L's where you can. Uh, if possible, um, sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes you have to like you create L's by using drones or using secondary effects like grenades and stuff to to create danger areas for the opponent to force them to not be in areas where they are strong. Because for the Cold Harbor guys, having a little bit more range is great because they can step out, fire some rounds, and step back in and then maneuver through a building to get closer to a target and not leave themselves vulnerable to a wave of, of, of fire. But when they get past a certain point, when they get within inside of essentially the 25 meter range, like 15 meter range, that kind of goes out the window. That advantage is gone because they'll be close enough for the IRE network player to essentially overwhelm them if they've been able to preserve enough of their forces. Well, so when you take this game out and um, show it, we've already mentioned about like some of the crossover between the Battletech player because of some of the uh, granularity and the rules. What is your um, core player? Who's the person that you're able to, um, like they're walking down the convention hall, they come into like your hobby place, Alexandria. What's the type of person you're looking for when you're about to pitch? Um, you know, it, I don't, that, that's part of why we went to the shows to try to figure out who that person would be. And it's 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 quite a diverse crowd. I, it's BattleTech guys, people who like the video game Ace Combat seem to really like it. Um, uh, I, we've got some historical guys. We've got some some Infinity guys. We've got some Warhammer guys. We, and we've got some people who used to play Bolt Action or Flames of War. You know, they're playing at different scales. One of the things that that is one of the only things that consistent is that like there are certain kind of gamers who are only playing a specific IP because they love the IP, right? Like, hey, I really like Star Wars, so I only want to play Star Wars games, or I really like 40K, so I just want to play 40K. Like, I might not even want to play Kill Team. I might buy the Kill Team boxes because I like the models because I'm into 40K, but I just want to play 40K. That's that's my game. Okay, cool. You know, and there's a lot to know in a game like that, right? There's a lot to keep track of. In some of these other games, like once you start branching into um, Infinity or, you know, fill in the blank game, right? Uh, Force on Force or uh, a Skirmish saying it is another one I hear about. Respect or Operations, right? Those people who are willing to try different games, that's really all it takes. Because once you're looking for something different, you're just looking for something different to play. That's all really I need. Um, because if you want a different experience, I've got a radically different experience than anybody else in the space. I mean, it's a com this especially just, I mean, the speed of the game, like forget about the models, forget about everything else. If it was literally just like little chess pieces that were, you were moving around, it would be just as fun. 
So, um, well, I know I talked about that, um, because I think like, um, the way I found out about your game is like going on a lot of the, uh, Facebook pages that do like the ultra modern, um, war fighting games. And it's like, people start mentioning it. You go into Amazon, you see it and you figure your base rule book is actually that you get on Amazon. Very affordable. Um, especially if you already have like ultra modern models, now, if you're really willing to do like some reskinning, um, okay, go throw in your towel, your Imperial Guard guys. Um, if you're playing Star Wars Legion <laughs> troopers versus uh, Rebel, I think like War Corgi was using uh, before you came out with the Hong Bin miniatures. He was using his <laughs> uh, Rebel troopers to uh, play. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, we talked about the indestructibility of the tiles, but like the nice thing about your book is that since you lay out the different scenarios there, it's like, um, I was actually able to just get like graph paper and it's like, cut it up. Yeah. It's like, well, it might only last like two games or uh, at the end of the session, we just crumple it all up, throw it away. And I'll just make another set. <laughs> so <laughs> go for like the, the ultra ephemeral. Um, but one of the things, uh, I, I have to admit, I was disappointed when you were in York, Pennsylvania, I was in DC, but I couldn't get up there. And as soon as I left DC, you showed up like at, uh, your hobby place, Alexandria, who I just interviewed <laughs> before you showed yeah, up. I, I, was, <laughs> I was actually at Historicon and we were packing up from the show and you released your podcast. I'm like, Oh, Matt, I, I just did a deal with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, so let me ask you about that. Um, just as, you know, for anyone out there who wants to be a game designer, what's the experience like when you go to a convention versus when you go to like uh, a local game store? How's that different when you're trying to wrap people in? Um, I have to admit, your no. hobby place was the first place when they did their grand opening. They're the only guys that's kind of like in Tijuana with like the hawkers outside the bars. Come on in, come on in. So I was just <laughs> trying to imagine you out there like, hey, play my game. Well, I mean, so uh, I, we kind of touched on how the local stores, like they're very incentivized to stick with what sells, right? Because there's a cost of, like having shelf space in their stores is expensive. So that if they bring something in, they want to know that it's going to sell. So the game store that's like 15 minutes away from me, that that's the one I play at. Um, they looked at the rule book, they liked the rule book, and they had no interest in having it in the store. Now we play the in the store, and I've actually sold games to people through dem through open play that we do in the store. The guy's cool with it. He's just like, yeah, I mean, I just don't have space for this on my shelves. It's too, you know, like, like, cause his store used to be like, they used to have a whole bolt action flames of war section. It's been reduced to two, two hat, like two small bookshelves, essentially. Like nobody plays those games there in general. So, you know, he just, it's, it's not his scene. Um, being at a convention, I think the stores had a chance to not only get demos, but they got to see other players or send their players who were at the show over to our booth to get demos. Um, one of the things that happened when we tried to go to stores and just do like demo days, you know, people don't show up to play. They, you know, the, very few people show up. And if they do, they already know BPRE, right? Like they're not just, Oh, I wonder what this BPRE thing is. Let me go check that out. They're, they're, they're already fans. Um, and they are, those people are there to play their game, whatever that is, you know, uh, uh, whether it's a historical game or X-Wing or, you know, any of the myriad great games that are out there. Um, that's what they're there, there to do. And they might, you know, they might check out a demo. They might get some time on it and think, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. 
if the store carries it, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll play it. Right. But like yeah. the store has to actually commit to it because again, we go back to the community thing. If I don't have anybody to play with, it's just a pile of plastic. Right. And the whole joy of this space, the sort of cinematic shared experience is because we're, we're sitting across the table from each other, actually, you know, basically playing with our plastic army men. And, 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 and it's, it's a little bit of a test of skill and wits. You know, we get to admire the scenery, you know, we're having fun, right? Like the, the sort of subjective concept of fun, like that there is, you know, like playing cards with people, right? Like playing, like, like there's a reason that like, blackjack or poker has survived like hundreds of years right it's because they're fun like it's a social activity where we can have a game of wits we're having a social interaction maybe we're having a drink you know maybe we're having some pizza uh, you know in in modern context uh which is also hilarious because that's a big part of why our stuff is also so durable right the cardboard and the uh, or not the cardboard the centra tiles the building tiles and the laminated the uh, soft touch laminated cards so Somebody, you know, takes a bite of whatever they're eating and it's like they grab the card. And it's like, oh, I just got oil on your card. It's like, oh, no, here, just wipe it off. Boom, done. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I have to admit, I, I do appreciate that about it because um, I'm a big Necromunda player and I have very nice painted terrain and I bring people over mm-hmm. and I have fridges and snacks and it's like, you're not touching those Cheetos and then playing this game. God damn you right. You're not. <laughs> you put that bag down right now. <laughs> Drink all the Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's 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 actually funny because yeah yeah i've i mean in in some of our earlier testing there were sodas dumped on the the play area um now we were prototyping everything with actual legos and stuff so it didn't destroy anything but that was a big hint early on that like beer and pretzels games need to be very durable for beer and pretzels <laughs> Or Cheetos in your case. Um, that's kind of hilarious. Oh, my God. I, I, I mean, it, 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 it's also funny that you're a big Necromunda player. I was watching, I've been watching some of your painting videos. And Nec- Necromunda, I, I must confess, is, is one of my guilty pleasures. I, I do enjoy Necromunda quite a bit. I, lo- I love the world. I love the, the cynical nature of it. I mean, yeah, I, I really enjoyed Necromunda. It's a, probably my favorite GW thing outside some of the specialist games, which are ironically my favorite favorite things. That like like the boxes, like Assassinorum or um, the Horus Heresy box they did, or Cursed City. Though I haven't actually played Cursed City yet, I'm still haven't found anybody to play the damn game with me. <laughs> <laughs> you know that. So I think Cursed City is probably a good analogy for your game of like how do you build a large enough player base um, to like kick over to where like, if you wanted ran- getting random drop-in games, cause that's the issue. It's like, unless you have someone already roped in in advance, how do you mm-hmm. like start that community? Um, so one of the things I wanted to ask you about, um, I think Batman miniature games from night models, they've been wrestling this problem for like 10 years and three editions. Mm. Like how do we kick over? Um, cause stores will buy it and they'll be like your local store with bold action buying for a while. Then we'll drop it. Um, I think the way Knights models is going is like this new sidekick program. And then in the sidekick program, they've been really pushing tournaments. I think they see that as their solution for like building a tournament, um, building a tournament community as like the alpha gamers that will drive 
like other gamers to latch on, even if they don't play with the alpha gamers. What are your thoughts mm-hmm. on on that? Um, is that something that you've approached or even talked about in your company? Well, we've talked about matched play specifically in the past two weeks. Um, it's not something ever anybody. So when we, you know, we first came out with the game, we wanted to just do a beer and pretzels game because you got to start somewhere. And we felt like, you know, trying to rush into making a tournament game out of the gate seems honestly kind of premature. Um, you, you know, you first need a, a base of people who play the game before you can start worrying about matched play. So phase line, which is our expansion that's coming out is an evolution of the current game. It doesn't replace it. It's a, a new way to play. And the next thing we're working on after that is going to be integrating that game, that game type with the original game types and possibly a new game type that we've been, we've been working on into a single matched play experience. Um, so, you know, and by match play, I mean like sort of a preset campaign rather than the, you know, you grab the cards and you draw, you draw like for atmospherics, you draw for um, uh, the map, you draw for the mission. This is, would be like fixed mission, fixed map, go do this, go do that in this order. Uh, and that seems like that would be the first step to start trying to explore if there's an audience for that um, or do, or is it really just a beer and pretzels game? Uh it, it's going to be a, I, you know, we had this conversation with a couple of like uh, stars who are, who are big into the tournament slash competitive gaming stuff. And they were like very much like, oh, you need this, you need this, you need this. Uh, and, you know, our, our players, they want more factions, they want more this, they want more that. And I'm like, I mean, that's great. But at the same time, we can only make so much so fast that at the quality that that's going to actually make people want to play the game. Right. Um I think there's definitely a room for matched play. I think a lot of people who play current game systems, which seem to be very much driven by meta versus skill, are those players are not necessarily going to want to play a turn like a matched play skill game. Um, it's sort of like like Dark Souls versus Call of Duty, right? Call of Duty has a meta. You like and, and they that, that's why they are constantly patching those games, right? It's like okay, everybody figured out that gun X with attachment Y and special thing Z is basically the way to play. And within like a week of whatever patch comes out, all of the good players have figured that out, and that's what everybody uses. And then oh crap, we got to you know we keep keep the things moving. So we're gonna we're gonna re, we're gonna re, quote unquote rebalance everything. Another patch comes out thirty days later. Oh well. Again, within within a day, everybody who is a high level player has figured out this is the new meta, and there's a there's a motivation for I think companies that are churning out a lot of product because they have a lot of employees and they have to they have to pay a lot of salaries to keep players buying new product and building new armies, right? So they're constantly at the bleeding edge of the meta, so they can always win. In a game like ours, where you don't need to to constantly buy new boxes. Uh, you know, once, once you've got a certain amount of models, you pretty much figured out every configuration humanly possible in the game. Like, you know, I think when phase line drops, buying four, two of the new boxes of models we have and two of the old boxes of models is going to give you almost every possible useful com- you know, permutation of forces you can place on the board for the two different factions. Um, that's a really different experience than requiring you to go buy a new army every every you know, six months when the new codex comes out or the new rule book comes out. It's like, Oh crap, we got to, everybody's got to switch from being, you know, faction X to faction Y. 
Um, you know, like right off, the, right out of the gate, I know a lot of games allow you to play like in their their match play or their competitive play. They allow you to play the same faction against the same faction, right? Like they basically throw all the lore out the window, and it becomes a pure sort of meta figuring out the algebra and the you know the trigonometry and all the magic numbers that make <laughs> th- this army be like the army to play right now. We already we have that already in the game to an extent. It's called proxy war, right? That's in the that's in the core rule book. If you the game was already balanced with that in mind, that if you wanted to play a game where, it, you know, you let's say you don't care about black powder red earth at all, and you just like modern military, and you want to build like a roving marauder band of like you know mercenaries that goes out and like smashes stuff. Well, you can do that. You can you can you can cherry pick from the the Hongbin and the IRE network and the Cold Harbor guys and build wacky factions and i would as you know i would hope people would paint them or identify them so you have some like you know some ffi on the board and doesn't look like ukraine where like essentially you have like standing armies that literally have to put armbands on to try to reduce fratricide right like all you see all your ukrainian guys will have like a yellow or a blue armband and you see all your russian guys will have like a red armband right so just so they won't shoot each other because they basically have the exact same equipment they all basically are running a, a, a variation of the same exact camouflage they you know for all intents and purposes the equipment is all last 20 years modern military um so everybody's got some kind of ak everybody's got some kind of mitch helmet or ops core helmet everybody's got some kind of like multi-cam variant everybody's got some kind of like body armor and web gear on top of it um every you know like you know there, there's not there's not that much difference right um so that's the only challenge of doing something like proxy war is you kind of you kind of need to you probably want to color code your forces a little bit more so they're in some way you can you know differentiate them on a table but other than that i mean really there's the sky's the limit as it is now. Um, and I mean, we played proxy war. The, the design team prefers to play the, the traditional game, like the house rules, if you will, because we love the lore and the lore makes, you know, the lore is part of what makes everything make sense. And you get the most balanced experience if you play that way. But if you want to just go like, you know, hog wild, I mean, yeah, you can, you can field Hong bin dudes right next to uh cold Harbor guys. And, yeah, like if you and your buddy are cool with it, rock on, man. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how tournament players, as as BPRE twenty eight continues to sort of grow, um, it'll be really interesting to see how people respond to a game that is so skill based. Because I know when when Demon Souls came out, it really had a small cult following, and it wasn't until I think. I mean, Dark Souls 3, I started to hear people talking more about Dark Souls, but like, or Dark Souls, yeah, the first Dark Souls, by Dark Souls 3 was the one where I actually knew people, like everybody I knew was finally playing Dark Souls, right? Because it takes time for like a quote unquote sleeper to actually wake up. And I think we're still in the sleeper phase, right? Like we've sold, we've sold sub 1000 starter boxes, you know, if you include all of the rules we've sold and all the starter boxes, yeah, we've sold over a thousand copies. Um, you know, we, there's, there's people, we have clusters of gamers in Florida. We have a cluster of gamers in Texas. We have a cluster of gamers in Arizona. We have a cluster of gamers in Cali. We've got a cluster in the North Virginia, uh, area. We've got a cluster of gamers in North Carolina. Uh, we have a cluster of gamers, uh, in, uh, Indiana. I mean, we were just out there, but like basically the Midwest, we, you know, Wisconsin, Indiana, that, that whole kind of area. We've got uh, some gamers. We're, we're starting to see some orders come out of um, Massachusetts now. 
but it, it's kind of spread out, right? Like there, there, there are concentrations of people who like this stuff. We have a bunch of people playing in Georgia right now. Um, you know, we've been, we've been trying to keep an eye on where people are. So well, if we, you know, we're going to try to target a game store, be like, Hey, we've already sold this many games to your state. Like there's an opportunity here. If you guys want to capitalize on it, right. We'll, Cause we'll work with you. We, we want, we want this to be in stores. We will help create um, marketing merchandise for you. We'll, we'll post, if you have social media, that's great. Cause then we can, we can, you know, rep you on social media, talk about events that you host. Um, yeah. And you know, it's, it, it's so un- I, I keep saying it's unique, but it is so unique in the space. I mean, you know, you mentioned Warcordry earlier. Talking with him, that's that's a big thing for him too. It's like, well, is there really anything else out there that plays like our game? Not really, you know. Like there, there's there's not there's not uh, it, 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 and how it even approaches like gaming, like modern conflict. Um, you know, if you try to play our game like some of the other games, you're just going to get wiped out, right? Like, like there's no re- there's no reward for. I mean, again, I'm not a big Army 40k player, but there was a demo in uh, North Carolina a couple weeks ago, run by one of our our, our fans, and uh, at Hangar 18 Hobbies, and one of the the people who was at the demo was friends with Sam Lenz, who you know we're we're friends with. Also, he does a lot of our painting for our minis, um, and so he he contacted Sam and was like, "Man, this is a really." interesting and different miniature war game like if you play this like a tabletop game you're going to lose but if you play it like you know like if you use actual infantry like this is a great game and you you will you will have an incredible time like my god the layers to this thing and just how we deal with time <laughs> because we're not thinking about it in terms right i think about seven turns i actually think about that as three minutes i don't think about it as 26 inches on the board i think of that as 52 meters well i think the difference with the game is you get punished if you don't have an idea of what your end goal is. Like from when you do setup, you have to have a thought of however many rounds, this is where I'm going to end up. And this is how I'm going to get there. You can't just play round around and reset your thoughts every round as if it's new. It's, it's a domino effect. And like, you got to keep that momentum and roll forward because if not, and the other person is, you get punished for it. Yeah, and you have to be careful about how you set up your forces, you know, as the defender, because, you know, everything in the game, quote unquote, will make sense, right? Like the defender sets up first because they're the actual people defending the site, and the attacker attacker sets up second because they're building a force based on the target that they're attacking, right? That's why there's no like, there's no like, people people who try to play the game with one consistent setup often find that that they can be like, there's way, like if you play with the same setup every time, there's ways to counter it, right? Like there's ways to like start thinking about how to deal with the space and like position your forces and select your forces that any consistent setup, there's, there's a counter, right? Like, like it's just a matter of being able to like put that on the table. Well, I think it's a good point to talk about like where you're going with the game in the first, uh, in the future. So you're talking about like um, the next, um, version of the game now this doesn't replace the core game it's just certain expansions and one of the things i'm excited about is going to multi-story buildings and the reason is, is when you buy the core rule book you have some of your art in the back and mm-hmm. it's guys going upstairs which mm-hmm. you talked about no one wants to do but regardless you showed it in the book when you get the game out it's like well it's all single story wish i could go vertical with this <laughs> so why don't you talk about like where you're planning on taking the game Sure. Well, Black Powder Red Earth 28 millimeter phase line is coming out in November. 
Uh, we're shooting for a November 21st release, um, trying to get it in stores on November 21st, as well as on our website. Um, it's uh, instead of instead of being a replacement for the core game, it's an expansion in the truest sense of the word. It's a whole new way to play the game. Uh, there are three new structures, two of which are multi-story. We have rules for multi-story structures, and we have the the new gameplay system uses actual phase lines, which is why it's called phase line, to have different effects as you play through the game. Um, multi-story structures are just as like going upstairs in a multi-story structure is just as bad as it would be for you in real life as it is like to do in our game. Like it, it is, it, it, there, there is a, there's the occasional time and place to do it. Like there are advantages for being up there, but man, oh man, is it, is it a, is it, is it a pretty fast trip to get in shot? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's there, but like, you know, you and I, I said it earlier, right? Like hallways are from a planet that, uh, that basically just kills special operations guys. Well, stairs are from a whole different galaxy that all this galaxy does is kill special operations guys who are trying to assault houses. And you see it reflected in the, in the back of the comic. It's part of why, um, you know, like one of the rules is like never, ever, ever, ever go upstairs if you don't have to. Like it's, it's like the surest way to get shot to pieces. Um, because just like in the comic book, the little sneak peek, like the, these like super trained elite guys are going up a staircase and some dude who could probably not even read steps out with an AK-47 and goes full auto and kills three of them. Cause that's all. It, I mean, there's no place to go. Like yeah, do they get him? Sure. But it just cost three guys to get to the top of that staircase. Like how valuable was that staircase? And, and, and once you're up there, like you, you put, I don't know if you ever read the hypernotes, but we had a whole thing in the hypernotes, which dealt with how did, how did, how did, how would you actually traverse stories in a multi-story structure? Well, what you would do is you would find the murder holes between the, the floors because often in like, fortified structure like you'll cut holes in the floors and just run ladders between the floors i don't know if you ever saw the movie um the kingdom uh is jamie fox movie it's actually a really good film i don't know like you know, i think it's a pre-9-11 movie if i remember correctly actually and it's all about like like dealing with a jihadist cell in saudi arabia actually i'm sorry it's a post 9-11 movie but it, it's the fbi dealing with this, this and the saudi police working to like dismantle this jihadist cell in saudi arabia and they're fighting through this building and like, yeah, they're not on the stairs. They're actually using ladders to traverse from the floors because there's holes cut in the floors. So we don't actually have that in our current game. But um, uh, yeah, when you go upstairs, like, how would you deal with stairs? Yeah, I would, I would, I would shoot the crap. I would put drones in. I would like, I would flood that top flight of stairs. Like, I'd throw grenades up there. Anything, anything at all I can do to kill everything on that second story before I go up it. Because I want to fight down. I don't want to fight up. And if I have to fight up. I want to absolutely 100% positively make sure that everything humanly, you know, any way possible, I'm killing everything on that second story before I go up there. Because if I'm going up there, I got to have a good reason to get up there. Because it's a really dangerous place to be, right? You know, you think about like the logic of, of a mech game. Like, there's a reason we don't build like, like two story robots. It's like, hey, they may be super armored, they may be able to carry all these heavy weapons. Yeah, they're a freaking giant target that you can see from like miles and miles away, right? Like all you have to do is be able to work the, the, the you know, an artillery barrage and adjust fire and that thing's dead. You know, like, like sorry, Mobile Suit Gundam will never work in the real world as cool as those things look. Um, the, 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 you know, right? Because like the army builds all kinds of crazy stuff. I, I'm not aware of us trying to work on any like humanoid or even like insectoid looking like giant robots. Like it's just not 
it's just not worth it, right? Like they, they just get blown to pieces. Like how much armor could you put on this thing and how long would it last against modern missiles? You know? Um, so yeah, we do have a multi-story, um, you know, high level ver uh, about the game. So instead of being a 26 by 26 play area, we've expanded it to 26 by 52. There is a phase line at the 26 inch halfway force marker. And essentially the game starts with 200 points for each side. Um, the uh, assaulting force starts on the zero line. Counterattacking force starts on the 26 inch, the first phase line. The assault force has to breach the first phase line. Um, and at the first phase line, a series of new of, of cards can be played, which can either result in artillery strikes, um, chemical weapons, all kinds of like nastiness you can put on the board. And after those 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 uh, cards have been played, you get a reinforcement. So you get another 150 points on the board for both teams. 150 points start at that phase line one, and then phase line two, which is 13 inches closer towards the 52 inch line. So moving, moving down range, right? Like just like Andrew's game, which way is up 52 inches, the, the, the other way we're going that way, that's up. So to the second phase line, um, we get, you know, if you fight to the second phase line and now we're dealing with 13 inches with like, you know, up to like, I mean, realistically, we've never had 350 points of alive things on our board ever. Like everything is getting killed really quickly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like you, you have to, you know, your tooth and nail fighting to that next baseline, and then you get another another drop of fires. You get another uh, wave of reinforcements, and then you fight to the final target structure. So it's much more of a linear assault uh, that really deals with like indirect fire, uh, direct fire, um, movement. I mean, it's, it's all the same stuff that, that the current game has that it's 14 turns instead of seven. Um, it takes typically an hour to an hour and a half to play versus the current game, but it's because there's so much more complexity in that additional space and these additional fires cards and the maneuver you real people will, you, you spend a lot more time like considering your actions as you're going because just like the regular core game, it's very punishing if you make, you know, if you make a mistake, it can have catastrophic effects. I mean, I think you and I discussed uh, offline earlier, this, this game, you can actually essentially drop a structure and turn it into waist high cover. Um, the ability to do that essentially can transform the entire way you, you navigate a battle space because it completely changes how the fields of fire work. Um, Another thing is we've added some classes to both games or rather expanded the classes. We have uh, Reki. Uh, the Reki class has got new units. The Mutasib class has a new Sapper unit. Um, we have new heavier machine guns, PKMs, and the FN Evolus. And uh, we've also added Grenadiers for the Hongbin and the Crisis uh, Troops course, uh, forces. So uh, grenade, grenade launchers, really allow you to like plow through areas like you i mean you could really start like killing people in mass way faster if you're positioning your forces right well i, yeah. I was fascinated by so there's two things in it I, I love the idea of being able to alter terrain as just a part of the game because other games might have that as like um you know you can blow it up and make it disappear um but you can actually change the rule effects of the terrain by interacting with it. So as you were saying, you can set up a machine gun position and then just alter the terrain to make the position make sense. Um, yep. So one of those, you know, thinking three, four, seven phases ahead of like, I'm going to put these guys here because I have a plan. And also I like the longer board because I was thinking um, doubles. Like if you mm -hmm. 
at so I've I've gone to stores, say like Team Yankee, and we'll get out the giant like uh, six foot by twenty four foot table. <laughs> but what it what it is, it, <laughs> but whenever I try to interfere with someone else's games, because like we're all playing at the same time, and I try to shoot at someone else, it's like, no, worry about your stuff. I'm here. I'll, I'll take care of this. Then why are we playing next to each other? Why are we synced up at the same time? Why don't I just drag my table off to the side? Because but this actually sounds like a way of where you could have four people playing at the same time, like each person running a phase line or like the reinforcement troops, um, which I think would make for a great tournament event, especially if you start throwing smoke and like flipping the lights on and off and no one's allowed to talk. That would be a great, uh, interesting exercise. Well, you know, we're still, you know, BPRE 28 millimeter, we've always conceived of, the various taskings is happening simultaneously, right? So in Night Raid, there's uh, two, you know, if you do the full campaign, two infill, one actions on, and then two exfil um, taskings. Um, those are happening, like those infill actions are happening concurrently. So you're dealing with two different fighting forces, which are essentially creating the way in. A third fighting force actually deals with the objective. And then, uh, the exfil is securing the, the, the exit route, right? Because uh, an assault force is patrolling in to avoid detection. They're not going to fly in in helicopters. We're past the point of that being like sane, right? Like the Russians proved absolutely that flying helicopters to attempt an assault against even a reasonably capable peer is suicide. Um, like by killing like what, like 80% of their special forces attempting to seize one airfield. Um, that is like, like that's, that's done, right? Like we're, we're past that, right? Everybody's got surface to air capability. That's like incredibly lethal. Um, you don't even have to be that skilled to use it, right? Like you don't, you, like it doesn't take a lot of training to shoot the, the press buttons. The machines do 80% of the work for you now. Um, so yeah, like, like I, we had, we had actually talked a couple of times now about the idea of like, could you do a multi-person tournament? Like, I don't know if tournament is the right word, but could you have a game where you have like basically three players on the Cold Harbor team and three players on the RE Network team? And what we figured out is like, essentially, yeah, you, because there's, you know, there's, there's up to, I think four or five taskings for each, um, each of the phase, you know, each of the stages of the operation, we could do the, we could have three people basically do infill actions, do, Three people do the actions on the objective, so you're doing all three actions on the objective, and then you have three people handle the you know the same three people they're they're playing through the game, and then they're responsible for their exfil operation. So at the end of the day, you can tabulate all the points to actually see who won. Um, playing on the same board would be a little bit tricky. Um, we yeah, I, it, it's something it's something that I've thought about because I love the idea of co-op play, but it, it comes down to like being like chess, right? Like one of little bit of history on me. So when I started getting into game design, one of my big, big ideas was multi-team gameplay. And I designed a first-person shooter that had, it was a three-team simultaneous multiplayer game. And when we actually, you know, in concept, it was great. And when you, but when you actually played, it just felt like you were playing against two teams and never really felt like three teams. And I haven't really seen a, a, a I haven't really seen any strategy game that elegantly blends the ability for like people to be playing simultaneously with overlapping objectives on the same table if only because like you're now going to be introducing a lot of time between each move right like one of the things that that's that's I think kind of important with our phasing and how our turn structure works is 
you're never really waiting more than like 30 seconds to, to, to interact with the opponent and the opponent. And like, even then you're like constantly looking what the opponent is doing because you have a lot of options through intervention cards and immediate actions and, and what have you. Right. And you, you got You're also seeing like, Hey, are they doing what I predicted they're going to do? And if they're not, how do I have to change my next, my next move to still facilitate my plan? Right. Like you were saying, like you have to have a plan. Um, I think that becomes a lot more challenging when you have even two people per team on the same board. Like how are we facilitating the same objectives here without like just constantly having conferences and having to like break off and discuss what we're doing? Or is it just like, you know, we're moving, like we talked about like the ability of like the, like cold Harbor versus IRA network and, and Hong Bin. Well, the, the cold Harbor guys are moving simultaneously, but then you have a player controlling just the IRA network and a player controlling just the Hong Bin and those guys get their own separate phases. But when we actually tried to play it, when we tried, when we, you know, when we gamed it out, it just, it just ended up not being as good as just head to head stuff. Right. Um, and I don't know if that's, I don't know if there's a solution to that. Cause I, I personally love the idea of having like, like two people on like, like team play versus like just purely PVP. Um, but how it's like, when you have like a game where you're essentially acting as like an, an omniscient and like, you know, omni cap, you know, uh, what, I don't know what the word is like universally capable, like fighting leader. <laughs> like, you, you know, you, 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 you're, you're, there's only so much you want to delegate, like, you know, the military set up. So everything is, 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 I think most good companies are set up around the rule of threes where it's like, Hey, I'm one person. I can only influence up to three other people. And if you look at like the structure of like fire team, it's four guys. Right. And then, then the squad, there's three squads, right? Who reports to the staff sergeant and the staff sergeant reports to the lieutenant and the platoon, right? Because the staff sergeant controls three guys, which are the squad leaders. The squad leaders control two guys, which are the fire team dudes, and but they're reporting to the staff sergeant, right? Like there, there's, it's always based around like uh, three people are talking to each other, never more than that, right? And at the fire team level, you really have your three individual dudes, and they're ju- they're not communicating to the sar- the top sergeant. They're communicating to their killed or their um uh, their fire team leader, right? Like they don't they don't bypass him to give information to the uh, squad leaders, if you will. Uh, and and you know our game is really like like squad leader. The game is very much like a platoon or like you know it's like a platoon level game, right? Mechanized infantry, like BPRE twenty eight millimeter, is very much an actual squad based game, right? Like even with two hundred points on the field for Cold Harbor you're really talking about, you know, eight to 10 models at the most, right? Like, cause I think you, if you did all assaulters, you could get 10 models on the table, but like any, we, we've tried that people try to play that and they just, you know, I mean, you it's doable, right. But like, you really need the roles to work your way because with 200 points of, of Hong Bin guys, I mean, in IRA network, it's, it's not, it's not easy to roll with just numbers. Like you have to use like skill. You can't just like be like, especially if you're in the assault posture as cold Harbor, you're really, really working hard to make sure that um, like you're, 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 you're basically able to stop the momentum of this strike force. Cause 200 points is a lot of Sherta and Mutasib If you put them on the board, I mean, you think about it, it's uh 15, 20, 30 points for five, for four or five models. Um, so like 20 points, I can put like 25 models in it just, IRE network without including any of the new capabilities like the PKMs or the Mutasib, the rec, the Sapper Mutasib guys. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, like you can throw a wave of people and just trying to like 
stop that with like 10 guys with M4s is not going to work. Um, or if it does work, it's going to be like really lucky. <laughs> well, since you've talked about like the new classes, um, why don't we tell people about what your rollout for the your new miniatures? I know you've been featuring some new miniatures, some new um, terrain features, because last time we talked, all you had was the Scorch guys. Correct. Now you've gotten the Hongbin yeah. and the uh, the network guys. What miniatures can we look forward to next? Because I think your miniatures are made out of plastic, not CO cast. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they are. We're actually going to CO cast. <laughs> are are you? Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 We we uh, our part our partner invested in a machine. Um, we've been doing test models, getting the the plastic blend perfectly. Our um, we came out with a line of uh, uh vehicle terrain kits. Um, and we did those a SioCast. We were really pleased. We did a sample run of uh, models that we just got the first the first ones. Uh, well, we actually did multiple samples again until he got the consistency right. Now we're like, okay, we SioCast because SioCast has some drawbacks, but overwhelmingly is so much easier for like 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 hobby hobbyists to work with because it's it's super consistent. Um, the, the, the barrels, which is always the thing with modern conflict games, right? You have those, those, uh, the, like those fine details, which have a, you know, they can get bent and damaged. Yeah. With Siocast, the material, it, it does, it, it's so durable. Getting it to break is actually like, you have to actually like work to break it, right? Like you have to actually apply pressure to that thing properly, not just a little bit of a, a, a press. You have to like get some, so a little bit of energy behind it to break the barrel and Soundcast also gets rid of all your ear bubbles, which is really nice. Because while we, you know, we do our best to minimize that, and we QC feel almost everything that does have like any kind of significant air bubbles. Reality is that you know, Spincast resin is going to have some air bubbles in it eventually, right? Like you're not going to be able to get rid of that entirely. Uh, Soundcast has uh, the stuff that we've looked at has gotten rid of that problem for us, which is great. But um, not to go down a total tangent there. So we, we, we're essentially expanding the class system that we have now. We're not creating new classes. We're adding depth to the existing classes. So on the, for the, um, the IRE network and the Hongbin, we have uh, PKM gunner, which is a heavy machine gun team. Uh, and you can employ it as just the gunner or a gunner and assistant gunner for some buffs. Um, we have the uh, Mudasib sappers and the Mudasib sappers are a lighter, faster version of the Mudasib. Uh, and, they're running slightly different weapon systems than the the stock Mudasib, but essentially they look they look pretty similar. Um, they just have different weapons, and they're they basically have the ability to move fast. Like they can do the eight inch movement that the Recce units can on the Cold Harbor team. And then finally, we added um, uh, Hongbin Mercenary Grenadiers. So you have like dudes with AK-12s with grenade launchers mounted on them, uh, which are really they're conditional how they work. But man, they can be they can be if positioned correctly and timed correctly. I mean, they're devastating. Like, 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 uh, talk about like instantly letting you know that you've made a mistake, man. Getting hit with like four grenades is a, is a really bad time, because uh, because it can kill a lot of your dudes very fast if if you're not positioned right. Especially if you, because you know, again, you can shoot a grenade into a window and like then it blows up in the room like a regular grenade, like a, a regular forty mic mic. So, um, pretty devastating. Uh, on the Cold Harbor side, we've added also three new units. We have the heavy machine gunner. Who is running an Evolus FN, uh, one of their new machine guns? It was supposed to replace the uh, the Mark uh, Mark 48. It's 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 a lighter weight version of that, more reliable, faster rate of fire, very devastating. Uh, available in 556 or 308. 
Um, we don't really, I don't think we actually specify which caliber they're running. They'd probably just be running five, five, six because logistics, um, we have the assault grenadier, which is similar to the Hongbin mercenary, the Hongbin Merc grenadier. He is a more mobile guy. Uh, he's got a dedicated, uh, 320 grenade launcher. Uh, it's not mounted to his rifle. It's basically a, uh, uh, standalone, standalone uh, grenade launcher. So he's a little bit more maneuverable. Uh, he costs quite a bit more, but he is also like like get on the receiving end. Like he's a great like he's a great way to like break strongholds. Like like if you're trying to advance down the lane and there's a bunch of machine guns and RPK 16s parked down there, the grenadier is a great way to like basically breach defenses. It works like a real grenade launcher. Like it, it'll it'll punish you for for being exposed. Um, and then uh, finally, we have the Recce Raider, which is simulating essentially an, an advanced team member, somebody who had been staged before the attack. And, you know, they were they walked into the area, they confirmed that like everything was there. And then they 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 you know they throw off their like local indige garb. They have their ABS and their ops core and all their good stuff underneath, and like a sub gun. And they basically uh, a lighter, faster unit, similar to the regular Recce. Except the um, the Mutasib Sapper and the Recce Raider throw dice completely differently than every unit in the game. They actually throw uh, 5d10 with each dice having a different roll. So rather, normally it's a cumulative 2d10 with the Sappers and the uh, the Recce Raiders. They're throwing 5d10 um, and then determining a number of hits like per dice. So really fun unit to throw to, to throw dice with. Um, they're really again very fast paced unit. They inherit some of the the, the traits of their uh, their their compadres, um, but adds a tremendous amount of diversity without replacing the utility of the old units. Uh, I know in a lot of phase lighting games, we tried initially just playing with the new units. You still need to bring in the old units. You really want to have a balance of all the different forces, and you know you can play these new units in night raid also and. Once again, they 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 add they add significant complexity to how you can deal with with problems in the game, uh, and how you can create dilemmas for your opponent. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm very excited about Phase Line. You know, um, we we spent like I mean, we spent three years making the original core rules, trial and error, trying to figure it out of what it was. But once once we had that core in place, you know, we started. We actually were working on Phase Line back in November of last year. I think before we had even spoken to you, but when phase line finally came together was probably February, maybe March of uh, 2021 and, or 2022. I'm sorry. God, really losing track of time. Um, in, uh, and once we got, we, once we got the math, right. Once we had the, the first map set up, it was like a game changer. Um, it's, it's very addictive. It's, it's again, it just, I'm addicted to the skill, like the strategic complexity and, and, and like how to create dilemmas for my opponent while, you know, solving problems for myself. This game lets you do that in spades. Well, I, I think when um, I did the review on your uh, game initially for uh, one of the military um, miniature magazines there, and I actually like sat down and did like the math. Like when you talk about dilemmas in this game, don't get shot. <laughs> Cause it's, the survivability, that's like the biggest thing I noticed about your game is because um, you can bring a lot of guys and Warcorgy and I talked about this is like three phases in, there's not a lot of guys left <laughs> at the end of it. No. So the dilemma is like, what's left standing? 
you know, there's, there's two ways to think about it. So, um, you know, we talked about last time we talked about how the, uh, the infantry rifle platoon and squad manual was a massive, massive influence for this game. I mean, in many ways, this game is an extrapolation of how do you take the truth that is in that manual and put it into a game format? Because, no, nobody has done that. Nobody, nobody, no, I don't, or I don't feel like anybody had cracked that code up until this point. Um, and I feel like, I, you know, obviously I feel like we got it, but like, there's a couple, a couple of big things, right? Like in the, the army manual, they specifically say, uh, close combat is unforgiving and its dimensions are final and it's measured in meter, meters and minutes. And that's that, that, that meters and minutes phrase, the more I've played, I'm like, man, we really got that right. Because this is a game of meters, like where you're positioning your guys and the minutes are the turns that are passing and how you're setting up for the next phase, right? How you're setting up for the, not just the next turn, but the next phase, like, especially if you have rec units, because they have the ability to attack twice per turn, right? Or like your drone guy, like what's like, where are you going to be able to risk him to maximize the effect of dropping that drone? Because that drone, if if that, that, you know, that, that, that advisor is 50 points. So he's got to kill at least like, you know, 60 points worth of opponents, to make it worth investing in him uh, and a properly laid drone can like knock out like as many, I mean, we've seen almost 120 points killed by a single drone strike because of bad placement on the, the part of the opponent. Um, when I say dilemma, so this is also in the army manual problems are things we can solve, right? That's, they're coming at us one at a time. Dilemmas are when I'm creating, I'm making you do things you don't want to do because I've created so many problems for you that, I am going to make you make bad decisions. You're, I'm going to force your hand to do things you don't want to do because the alternative is worse. And like, here's a great example of that. So a Cold Harbor player, they have lower numbers, right? But they have they, they have better they're, they're better shooters. Now, the IRE network in general are are not particularly great shooters. So, but there's there's a lot of them. So it's, it's a very very valid tactic, especially if you're defending to draw fire. So to take essentially a cold Harbor unit and expose him gradually as you're like pieing out of a, an area, like working an angle to attack like a very valuable Hong bin unit or a very valuable IRE network unit, like say, a, um, uh, I don't know, a, uh, like, like a Mudasib, right? Like if you're a Mudasib is up on a door and you don't want him to go through the door, Hey, you could pie out. And if he doesn't take that immediate action at you, you, he's almost positive you're going to kill him because if you get a direct line of sight, you only need to throw like a seven or a six with most of your cold harbor units to kill him. He needs to roll like a 12 or 13 for direct line of sight normally. But if I, if I, if I pie it right, he doesn't see the center of my base. So he does he's getting an obstructed shot. So now he would need like a 13, but in order for him to even preserve the unit long enough to potentially get through the door, or do something else, I might have to take immediate actions with him. And now I just added three to my role. So we've actually played games where you'll have like, you know, a screening force of Sherta and we'll bring a single cold Harbor guy out, expose himself to all these Sherta. You'll have like five Sherta throw. And, you know, on a, on an immediate action, I think they need like a 17 or an 18 to hit and uh, a uh, partially exposed target. They're all miss, right? Like, you know, occasionally they'll hit and that's always hilarious. But like <laughs> most of the time they'll miss and like you'll, you can pie your way into basically fixing an opponent into position and like basically stopping their assault force dead because they have to react to preserve the guy that they care about. Cause that guy is so vital. And, you know, and 
that's so much of the game. It's like, how do I use time? How do I, how do I like make you make bad decisions? Right? Like it's an, for a game that, you know, some people will say, Oh, this is simple, right? It's, it's not, it's not complex enough for me. No, it's efficient. You only need four to eight pages of rules. That's and like most of our rules are illustrations because like everything you need is on the cards. I'm not, I don't care about like, if a guy drew his pistol to shoot versus his, his primary rifle or whatever, right? I'm measuring his effectiveness as a warfighter, not the minutia of like, well, did he have like a nine millimeter or 45? Because in reality, that doesn't matter. And people who think that stuff matters have never actually fought other human beings. Like they've never actually been in like combat or even like, even like trained for combat because like you really quickly figure out it, like this stuff doesn't matter. Like, uh, I don't know if I told you the story before, like when we were designing the game, one of the people who was playing, he was a friend of mine. He used to run like a small sort of strike force in Afghanistan. His guys couldn't read. None of his guys could read. And they were going out and smashing the Taliban battle after battle. Half their guns weren't even zeroed because the guys could not, they just couldn't, they, they, they had like, even if they took them to the range and zeroed the guns for them, the guys would actually take the settings on their AKs or their M4s and turn the numbers all the way up because they thought that was turning up the power of the weapon. Like, that's a true story. And all that mattered was getting them to maneuver to the same place, to the right place at the right time, and getting them to attack in concert so they could layer fires. And they won every battle. Like, that's what's important. Like, it's the ability to work together as soldiers that makes people strong. It's not the, it's not like, the, the, the marksmanship capability, like that guy's a marksman and he's carrying all that equipment because he's trained to do that, right? Like we don't have morale checks because the re- in the reality at this level of people, people don't drop their guns and run. Like that just doesn't happen. People will fight to the death with every inch of their being. Like, I mean, we're talking about people who put like explosives on their body. Like, you know, we some you could try to sort of diminish that as like – uh, like like a lesser foe or somebody who doesn't value life. But the fact is they are absolutely committed to win, right? Absolutely. So the idea of a morale check, like in a real world fight is fantasy. It doesn't happen, right? Like it just doesn't happen uh, when you're fighting a committed enemy. And that's what we're actually modeling here is a committed enemy. Um, and it, 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 like, like all of that, all of that stuff that people think is important is so not important. It's like, it's like a very, very Western way of thinking about like, oh, the hero and, and what does the hero use and why does the hero use this equipment? You know, what, why, why is, why is, why are, why are we fighting this way and why are we winning? Is, is it this or is it that? Man, it's so much of it is just the commitment to win. It's the personal will to like, I am ready to die right now and fight to the death. And like, that's, that's what it looks like out there, right? Like when, when people are actually killing human, other human beings in war or even in crimes, right? Like the commitment to win and do violence to other human beings is not like unequaled because once somebody starts shooting at you, it's been explained to me like, Hey, you really quickly realize that running away is going to do nothing, right? Like all your, now you're, now you're showing them your back, right? Like, like, like this is a really terrible idea. Like we're in this fight. And we have to win or we're all going to die. Um, and that is an incredibly sobering thought. It's a really disciplined thought, right? Like you see that level of discipline in all of these like extreme fighting forces, right? I mean, we're not talking about conscript troops here. That's not what we're modeling in BPRE. We're modeling like 
like uh, dedicated fighters. Um, and the process of like going back to like the whole dilemma thing, the whole process of that is like, Hey man, I'm willing to sacrifice my guys. Like I had a dude tell me once I will kill every single one of my men and I will die. I will, I will die and I will never see my family again if it means accomplishing this mission, because that's what I signed up for. And as long as we complete them, if we, if we don't complete the mission, then it was a waste. But if we can complete the mission, whatever it was, a hostage rescue or, you know, destroying some, some, some vital piece of infrastructure so my friends can live, that's worth dying for. And that's what a dilemma, that's what a dilemma is. It's like, like, are, like, how do you create problems? How can you stack problems into dilemmas? How can I create so many problems? How can I create so many bad decisions that you are stuck with, like, no matter what you do, you're going to do what I want you to do, right? Like, and if I'm willing to kill one of my guys to make you do that, that's acceptable, right? Like, and because that's real world. Like, uh, I mean, it, it, was, it was the best line in Saving Private Ryan when Tom Hanks is talking about, like, every time I kill one of my men, it's helping us win the war. That's actually how people think about it at this level, right? Like that, all the people I've interacted with and, and who actually are tasked with doing this kind of stuff, like that's how they think about it. If I have to kill one of my guys today, I will never forget him. And he is dying doing exactly what he wanted to do. So I'm willing to sacrifice a dude to create a dilemma for the opponent because it means I'm going to win the mission, right? Like I'm getting into some kind of like heavy philosophical stuff, but this is the kind of thing that I think about when we make our game. Like this is the kind of like – this is all the sort of humanity and like mindset that I'm trying to translate into a gaming experience that I feel like has been absent for most of the, most games where we're dealing with the, dealing with like heroic archetypes of like this like single you know single you know cape crusader like essentially we're turning like soldiers into capes right like this this individual who's going to personally turn the tide right like that wouldn't work if Batman was a real guy he wouldn't be making a dent like he'd have to be doing some incredibly brutal to, to create the level of terror that would disincentivize people from actually terrorizing Gotham, right? You kind of see a little bit of that in that new Batman movie, like that opening montage where, where the criminals are genuinely afraid of what's in the shadows because like he's actually genuinely crippling people, like, you know, putting them in a hospital forever, right? Like they're never going to walk again. He didn't shoot them, but he might as well have, right? Um, <laughs> but, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like, like to get people to do things you want them to do, um, you can incentivize them to do it with the rewards or you can terrorize them to do it with fear, right? Like, and it both work is the reality. Um, you get a more stable, long lasting society uh, if you can collaborate and do things that incentivize everybody. But when you're at war, we're past that point, right? Like when we're actually fighting for our lives, the collaboration thing is gone. We're, we're just, we're going to force you to do exactly what we want you to do. And then we're, you know, and if you don't, we're going to kill you. Right. Like, or we're going to kill you in the process because maybe what we want you to do is die. <laughs> like, <laughs> We just want you to cease existing. So that, 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 that is very much how I think about like, like when I, when I'm setting up my guys and I'm pushing my dudes around the board and I'm working those angles and I lose one of my guys, like I get upset. It's, it's so funny. I just did a demo the other day and I actually get upset when my guys get killed. It's not just, it's not just because I've got a bad role, but I'm like, especially when I'm playing cold Harbor, I'm like, man, that guy was really valuable. Like I just lost a major asset. I, I need to still be able to accomplish the mission, right? Like, was it, was, was his sacrifice? Did I make, did, did I use his life? Well, right. Did he die well for me? And if the answer is no, I get really pissed at myself. <laughs>
Well, John, oh, I'm, I'm going to use that right here because we, you, you told me that you only wanted to do this for an hour, and we've blown okay, right by that. that. <laughs> oh God, I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm just trying to make this podcast um, as long as it takes to get from Long Island City to the East Village um, at 9 a.m. <laughs> so that'll be about an hour and a half. So we're we're about there. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I think uh, hopefully we, I think we've covered a lot of everything you know we were, we wanted to talk about here. Um, I, I'm sorry if I've been a little long-winded about some of this stuff, but I've been really thinking about it a lot. Like especially being at the shows, it really forces you to think about because people ask you questions. It's like if you don't have good answers, it's like well, thankfully I had good answers and I was able to like go deeper down into those rabbit holes the more I talk to people. So well, thank you for giving me an opportunity to to talk to your audience in this regard. You know, it's one thing to like design a game, play it with your friends, have your local community test it. But the next level is actually like taking it on the road. And like you said, mm. testing it in front of a, an audience that may or may not be receptive or at best indifferent. And you've got to explain these rules that might have made sense to your, let's say like War Games Vault. Anyone can write a game, upload it to War Games Vault, and it's out there. But to actually like take it and try to build a community and like take it out on the road and into the convention circuits and into the game stores to actually try to make it something that has a broader appeal um, to the community out there. That that's what the the fascinating part out there is like, how do you and honestly, you've probably done way better than uh, most indie games out there. I will say, though, and this make this the final point when I try to find you in the Historicon map um i was looking for black powder red earth i forgot to look for the echelon software booth so it took me a while to find yeah it. so i i would say like next time you post out there say when you're looking for me on the map i'm in the back by the trash cans and it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah the historicon had a few hiccups in terms of uh they got the name wrong on the map, and then they moved us three times before we ended up at our actual booth. Um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, it, it was it wasn't it wasn't optimal. Um, I think I, I mean we came on the second day, the day the show opened, because the first day had been so clogged with people moving in apparently. And I was like, yeah, sure, we you know we're an hour away. We can. But yeah, no, your point is taken. We we ran into that at Comic Con too, where we, every year we would register as Black Powder Red Earth. And they would put Echelon software in the map because we that was the people who wrote the check for the booth. <laughs> so so point taken, James. <laughs> well, you know, I, I figured it out because I've been to your website and you have that like tiny script in the upper left. It's like Echelon software. <laughs> Unless like your, your email handle. It's like, oh, that's that's them. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll we'll do better. I mean, we're we're going to be at Cold Wars. Uh, we're we're going to be at Fallen doing a uh, open play demos with uh, your hobby place, and uh, we just we just were talking about that with them the other day. We're going to start trying to collaborate with them on events, uh, and then we're going to. My plan is for us to have a table at Cold Wars so we can kind of you know premiere phase line and maybe have some open open play going on uh, at the same time. Try to like get more people to check out what we're doing. Uh, because again, we still, I'm still not sure who our audience is really like, you know, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting mix of people. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm really hoping that, uh, that like we actually are easier to find in the future. <laughs> We're doing a good work and I hope you keep on doing it. And for everyone listening, um, at least you do go on Amazon, 
check out for Black Powder Red Earth, uh, the game and the graphic novel series. And for all of you out there, check it out. Go on YouTube, look at it. And that will be all for tonight. Well, have a good night, John. Have a good night, James. All right, and we'll see everyone next time.